Welcome to Jawbone with Dr. J and Dr. J. I'm John Monza, professor of strategy at the Joint Advanced Warfighting School, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. John Michalschek, professor of theory and history at JAWS. John, today we got a special uh, guest joining us, Major General Bill Seeley. Bill, you've had an incredible career as a U.S. Marine officer serving as an intelligence and reconnaissance Marine during most of your career. But uh, in recent years, you've become very involved in professional military education, including being the commandant of the Joint Forces Staff College, and now you're the commandant of the Eisenhower School up in Washington. So we just wanted to open it up uh, to you, Bill, and and get some thoughts from you on PME, and maybe uh, you could throw in a few kind words about the Joint Advanced Warfighting School as you go (laughs) along. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, and gentlemen, thanks again for allowing me to, to join you on the Jawbone and to visit the, the great Joint Forces Staff College. It was a great experience when I was here a couple of years ago. I would uh, definitely say one of the highlights of my career and then kind of really opened my eyes and widened my aperture when it comes to professional military education, right? And then we jump into not just from a service perspective, but then also into a the joint perspective, right? Joint professional military education and uh into what you do here and then what it does for the force in terms of preparing our students or graduates, those senior leaders, to go out to the operating forces, wherever they may be, whatever headquarters, and for that matter, whatever agency they may go to, depending on uh, where they came from. Just a huge plus, I can say, for the Joint Forces Staff College, the JCWS, and of course, JAWS, right? So I've got some great friends who are JAWS graduates. Grinch, I think you know, Grinkovich, Lieutenant General Grinkovich, uh, he's an Air Force three-star just been nominated to be the um, the J3 for the Joint Staff. Currently, he is sent aft, but he's a JAWS graduate. So Rainman Adams, Marine Corps, three-star RP&R programs and resources, Deputy Commandant, also a JAWS graduate. There's a lot of great JAWS graduates out there serving respectively in their uh, services, leading the way. Their leadership positions because of what they were able to take away from here in terms of strategic planning and carrying that forward respectively. In this case, my examples with Alex the Grinch, if you will, and uh, and Rayman Adams, Marine Corps and Air Force, you know, all the way through. So you're the commandant of the Eisenhower School, which has a different focus, and you're bringing this time as a tactical and, and operational intelligence and, and reconnaissance leader, and then coming here to the Joint Forces Staff College. What, what's your focus then up at Eisenhower? How do you see that school evolving under your leadership? Eisenhower, uh, again, uh, small plug, but the Eisenhower School, formerly called the Industrial College of the Armed Forces for a little bit of history, and before that it was the Army Industrial College when it started back in 1924. So this year we're 100 years old, coming into our own, if you will, which is a great deal. But it was originally started to look at the defense industrial base as a result of World War One, in the sense that, hey, we don't have a formal program of study to understand America's industrial base, and for this matter, the Army being what it was coming out of World War One, you know, the Army's industrial base, their ability to go ahead and, if you will, marshal, procure, and then forward deploy resourcing anywhere from just, again, machine guns, our first iteration of tanks, whatever it is, all of those things just didn't happen. So as a result, a commission was put together and then the Army Industrial College was born. General slash President Eisenhower himself is a graduate of the course of the school rather, and eventually was a faculty member for a while. Previous to him getting posted overseas, I eventually with General MacArthur, and then you know we'll say the rest is history during his particular career. 
But I think his time at Eisenhower continued to shape him and his look at industry, logistics, if you will, resourcing all the way through, A, his handling and leadership in World War II in Europe as shape, and then as president, again, ending with his famous the defense industrial complex kind of speech and comments of understanding its relationship between civilian private industry and the government and the defense establishment. For Eisenhower today, the Eisenhower School today, really revolves around the defense industrial base and strategic resourcing for our defense. Some of the side jokes up in Washington, D.C. is that the National War College, it teaches basically the grand strategy and foreign policy and really kind of shapes its graduates to lead at that level in terms of being senior leaders, whether it be at the various COCOMs, if you will, large combat formations, serving within the Joint Staff, serving even at, the, we'll say, the NSC, uh, considering what is produced over time at the National War College. Eisenhower, ICAF, or the Army Industrial College, our joke is that we take a hard look at that strategy that's developed from those, if you will, graduates, but we're going to come back, our students are going to come back to you and say, this is a great strategy, sir, ma'am. However, here's what you can and cannot do based on resources. And they do a critical analysis of what it takes to implement or reshape or rethink that strategy going forward. You can't do this because we don't have enough of this or our critical resources or you don't have these critical rare earth elements that are being mined out of pick a country in South America, for example, because another country owns that mine. Okay, what are we doing to shape the strategy and the economics behind it so we can then get access to those critical resources, whether it be the cobalt, the lithiums, et cetera, moving forward? That's where our graduates come in, and that's how they can help support strategists and planners and leaders of the future. The other side joke is that maybe the National War, Colleges, War College and other schools produce you know, admirals and generals, but we produce millionaires because we're looking at the defense industrial base, okay, and working with hand-in-hand private industry, working in hand-in-hand with, again, the extent of our ability to, to mobilize for that matter and to pull resources together to implement said name strategy. Yeah, that was good history. And for the listeners, we now have hundreds of listeners now, Dr. Monza. <laughs> NDU is split campus, the so-called North Campus Fort McNair, which is one of the longer historical, it was an Army installation, what, 1794? Mm-hmm. There's a nice general row of houses there. That's where all of uh, Eisenhower is, National is. And then further down south in Norfolk is the southern campus where we have JAWS, where we talked National, the strategists, Eisenhower uh, does the military industrial complex, and then JAWS, we do planners, elite planners. And then JCWS, 10-week course, uh, also does planning. And so, General, we've done, this is now our 11th episode, The Jawbone. One of the episodes, it was actually the most downloaded, was called The Defense of JPME. Mm. Between us three in here, there's probably a lot of years of PME. And what we talked about in that argument is what JPME does well, what maybe we should do better at. And in your career as a student, then as a commandant of two schools, what do you think JPME does well? What do you think we need to get better at? Um, As we all know, and I'm sure from your previous podcast, JPME really governed by legislation. And now the new OPMEP, I think, version of golf will be coming out. Either It either has been signed or will be signed shortly uh, in terms of what we're required being asked to teach, and I get it. But I think also within that particular document, there's enough leeway in there where we can take for interpretation at the various schools how that fits basically our respective mandates. 
So, and again, your case, strategic planners, our case, defense industrial specialists, if you will, and resource planners. I think that there's enough of a baseline, me personally, uh, to look at. There's still certain fundamentals about just simple staff action, planning, procedures, the different various committees, how strategic planning is done at various, and operational planning is done at various levels, whether it be from a component to a COCOM all the way up to, to the joint staff and OSD. Our future leaders and students have to know how that works, I think, from start to finish, one level. I think my interpretation is that there's also enough that we can be adaptive to the, the current changing environments. And again, this is last two years with the war in Ukraine shows that. It shows that there has to be a flexibility and a resiliency, if you will, that respectively all the colleges can look at those changes in warfare in planning and the requirements from procurement to planning to how do we mobilize, how do we execute from a force development, from a force design perspective, those forces and have them prepare for a future fight or for that matter, the current fight. I think that needs to be built in or accepted. And maybe there's some isolated, we'll call it isolated resistance with, nope, we're only going to teach this and we, we don't have time to do that. But we can't deny the fact that our students are going home and doing their own research or their own reading or receiving emails from their friends overseas or wherever saying, hey, look, this is what's going on. Have you, have you seen this? Have you seen this stuff on, this, on these new drones? How do we access that type of technology? How do we, you know, how do we get to a lab? How do we understand it? Who's doing the, the research on how to implement these new technologies into modern warfare? That's where we need to, I think, as PME, as the caretakers of professional education, need to, uh, to move. And I think, I, I think there's some really great pockets of, of support for that. It's really about really kind of, I think, my opinion, harnessing all of those vanguards that think that way to like, yeah, hey, this is what's happening. Here are the changes that are moving forward, right? Here's the changes in warfare. And also to understand what's happening right now. We have Ukraine over here that's happening. We've got this growing, we'll say, small crisis in Ecuador right now, right? What a great tactic. They stormed a TV station and took it over while it's in the middle of a live broadcast. In one ways, it's kind of old school, right? Because yeah. like, who does that? But it worked, right? And it really highlighted the kind of internal crisis that Ecuador is going through right now. And then, of course, we have what's happened with Israel and Gaza and everything else. Hmm. Oh, yeah, by the way, there's a maritime kind of conflict slowly brewing down in the Red Sea with these Yemenis and, and the Allied forces, we'll say the coalition, trying to transit in the region. All of these things happening, different technologies, different strategies. And then we go back to, but we have a finite set of resources and how we're going to apply that quite interesting. PME needs to be able to, in my opinion, be flexible, quickly look look at, gather those lessons learned, teach, mentor those future leaders to be prepared to handle these types of crises as they, as they emerge. So one thing I'm really proud that we've done this year is we have flexed the course in response to these events That's that good. are going on. So for example, we had a, a, a UCOM strategy planning exercise that we had thought was going to exploit what's happening with Ukraine. But then just about a week before we kicked that off, the war in Gaza began. And we totally changed focus and we made it a CENTCOM exercise. And you know, I think JAWS as a school with just 45 students, yeah, I'd love to see us uh, as more of a test bed mm -hmm. for thoughts from leaders like you involved in professional military education where we can do things with 45 students and turn on a dime that you couldn't. You know, John, to my right here, when we got direction to stop going to Normandy, 
to study campaigns. And we're told to go to the Pacific. Just a few months later, there we were in Saipan, mm-hmm. you know, with a, a program Saipan. that that John put together sure. to go focus on preparing to fight yeah. fight China. So I, I don't know what thoughts you you have about Jaws as that kind of a test bed. It's a great idea because of the caliber of student A that was selected to come to Jaws, combined with caliber of professors leading the way and its size. It's not like it's two hundred or three hundred. That's that can be a little unwieldy. There's ways to do it. But I think that number to 45 to 50, which you have or built, is in and itself a battle staff. That becomes a battle lab, my opinion, mm-hmm. right? So you're able to, I think, uh, good on you for being able to turn like that. Like, let's take a hard look. And then, of course, you're still getting your teaching objectives. All of those things are still being implemented. They're still going to walk away with all of those things that JAWS does in terms of strategic planners. Okay, so for the for that one magic moment, they're not studying anything in the Pacific, whether it be whether it be China or Africa or someplace else, or the Ukraine, as it was probably the last two years or so. Now it's uh, the, the situation in the Mideast. Perfect. All the learning objectives are still there because they're going to be universally applicable all the way across. I mean, so I think that's a good thing. Uh, maybe the other institutions across other PME institutions, not just Eisenhower for that matter, or the other elements of. Uh, like for example, our College of Information Security Affairs, or excuse me, International Security Affairs, or the uh, the Information and, and Cyber College, and the National War College. Yeah, they do things a little bit different, but I think they can take advantage of something very similar, and to look at how they divide up their seminars, and then how can and then providing just a little bit of flexibility in there. An example would be, uh, we had a national security exercise just before the winter break. Um, and they, you know, the team came to me and it was, hey, sir, you know, this is what we did in the past. And, and I kind of was driving at the scenarios. And, and in the past, each of the professors had their own kind of spin on the Pacific, in this case, a Pacific uh, China-oriented national security exercise. And I said, well, what, we have an opportunity. Why not just take the opportunity to have all 20? And in our case, Eisenhower's divided up into 20 seminars. Let's have all 20 run the same problem, same exact scenario, same questions. But the purpose of that is, A, when it's done, the analysis of all 20 different operational planning teams. Hey, why did these five choose this course of action or set of recommendations? This one had this radical one, and these other, you know, pick a number, did these things. That's in and itself, I think, really good feedback. Then again, analyzed properly and packaged correctly, you can actually turn that over to a J3 or J5 or whatever. And I think maybe in the similar cases, what you're doing here with your battle lab, you know, in terms of your, your JAW students. In this particular case, I also allowed, uh, we'll call it, it was Suite 16, seminar number 16, and I allowed them to use any AI tool they wanted within their group. So not just the students, it was A, they had their own preparation, their own readings, their own requirements, but they were allowed to access what ChatGPT or Microsoft Copilot or pick whatever tool that they wanted, even the new Bing, hey, go ahead, whatever you want, and they did. And at first there was some reluctance because of, you know, a carryover from the academic policy. Oh my God, it's cheating. I'm using ChatGPT. No, that's not true. Using as a tool kind of thing. And then over this exercise, all the students became increasingly comfortable with it. They learned how to ask better prompts to get better answers, or at least what they believed were higher and better quality answers. Not so encyclopedic, so to speak. And in the end, they produced really some phenomenal briefs. To the point of when faculty members came in and received the kind of final set of briefs as policy recommendations, 
faculty members had remarked like, wow, these are really good briefs, much better than other ones that they had received already. And then they were told afterward that a portion of this was developed by, by artificial intelligence software or whatever tools. That's a big thing. And especially when some of the students were actually relaying some things in terms of natural resourcing that they weren't taught yet, they were gonna get taught later this year through their industrial analysis, industrial industry study program. And so, not that they didn't know it, but it was more like they knew how to write, again, ask the right prompts, produce the right answers. And what was, again, unique about this particular experiment was it was um, no one else knew. Only the students knew, only the faculty team knew, no other faculty team members knew until after the fact. So now the next thing we'll do is we have another national resourcing exercise coming up later this spring. Then again, for experimental purposes as a pilot, we'll allow all of them to use it to see what they kind of come up with, which prompts the whole idea of where do we sit with artificial intelligence, or at least the tool set. It's really about the tool. It's not gonna do the thinking for you. It's really to be used as a tool to go ahead and to drive your planning. And what our students learned was, again, better prompts, better questions, but then also to be able, the ability to challenge what it gave back to you. Just like if I said something in class and then having another student challenge me, I disagree with you, Bill, and here's why. That's where the learning is happening. I disagree, here's what it is. Or I never thought of it that way. Let me explore that particular thread. And that's where we want to go. I mean, in terms of like industry, and that's why Eisenhower, at least for me, has an interest in that because of the idea that artificial intelligence and those tools right, is an industry in and itself, which adds to what we do at the Eisenhower School. Like you have your overseas study programs in terms of campaigning and, and, and so forth. Eisenhower is unique in the sense that we have those same 20 seminars break up into different industry studies from man manufacturing, robotics, agribusiness, financial technologies, you name it, it's under the sun. All those students will form out all over the world to study respectively those different industrial sectors, compile a report, as part of their graduation requirement, formally present their findings and move on. But AI is one of them. But we're also finding that artificial intelligence or those tool sets threads across everything. Finances, manufacturing, obviously robotics, aircraft, ships, well, AI tools or the future of AI tools we put on ships and, and ground combat systems and things of that nature. I think we've talked to AI enough. Yeah. You know, maybe mm -hmm. uh, just one last yeah. thought I, I'd yeah. like to hear your views on. One thing that we have pushed over this last year is real maps and real actors. Mm. And I think there was a time period that really went on for more than a decade, maybe almost two decades, in professional military education where we used made-up countries, made-up oh, maps. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, land. and yeah. you're trying to develop a, a strategy or a campaign plan to deal with someone who doesn't exist. How do you deter an actor who mm -hmm. doesn't really exist? Mm -hmm. And so this past year, I felt like we successfully bowled through any bureaucratic resistance. And now we're just using real maps and mm -hmm. real actors. Mm -hmm. And the students, we used a little bit of AI too. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to figure out how to deter Putin or Xi, or Kim Jong, you know, Ung, then then you have to have some background information on on that actor. How, how are you folks doing up north? Do you, do you use real maps, real actors? Yes. So in this in this particular set of exercises, in the next one we'll use we we'll use real maps, real actors, uh, in the sense again unclassified. But by coincidence, the last exercise we did kind of centered around the ongoing elections that are actually about to kick off in Taiwan now, and it was about mm -hmm. election interference, right? On based you know in like how we were gonna 
from an NFC perspective, deal with that interference from you know uh, China with, with regard to Taiwan. You know that whole you know truth is stranger than fiction you know kind of routine, right? So that's I think that's important. You're right. You know, way back maybe at the very tactical level, if we're concerned about country green and country red, or in our backyard at pick a base, that's one thing. But I think in, in terms of developing senior leaders to really engage, right, to understand a the scenario they're in, b also uh, the greater situation and and context, they need to have that real map, real people kind of behind them. An example would be when I was on a division staff. Um, like any large kind of twasies, TTX, whatever you want to call it in terms of uh, an acronym, we set up shop in our COC on base and then people were sitting up and the staff from the commanding general was coming down to set up stuff, you know, in the back room and it's like, that means the general will come down there occasionally from his big office to little office, sign a few papers, take a brief and then walk away. Well, no, in this case, the general came down and started setting up shop. Like we were going to be there for two weeks and, and he was setting up shop for two weeks had the cot in there off the COC. I was the senior watch officer at the time. And I'm, I, I kind of sort of what, can I ask what you're doing? <laughs> you know, kind of thing He's like, hey, I, he goes, how can I, in this conflict, it was like a keen edge or northern edge type of thing in uh, Japan. And he goes, how can I, um, how do I, how do generals learn how to make decisions if we're not in the game? I can't float in and float out and then expect to go to world war and have a, a kind of a set of lessons or something I can fall back on, right? Well, you know, talk about the leadership points that I, I gained from that guy, you know, kind of thing about, hey, here's a senior leader really understanding and taking advantage of what the exercise offers, time to research, time to make decisions, how to make decisions, you know, when to commit the reserve. When is he the commanding, the division commander under pressure to commit a reserve, not to commit a reserve, okay, when he's tired, at three o'clock in the morning. That's kind of a good thing. That's a reps and sets thing. And by the way, that was former Commandant General Neller when he was the CG of Third Marine Division. What a great leadership example that he showed me right then and there. And I remembered that, like, hey, I mean, our Marines, or for that matter, anybody in the Joint Force, um, when they're exercising, they should take it to the limit. It's reps and sets, it's training. That's what the athletic teams do for the Super Bowl. They train and they prepare for that game. Right, so it should be full contact or at least three quarters, you know, kind of thing. Right, that's how you're going to be ready. That's how he was going to be ready for a crisis. Was he put himself in there? I think exercises also provide an opportunity for just we'll call it academic research. I've got a, a war game coming up. Again, pick a real country, a real scenario. What better time for me to like? All right, let me peel back some some time that I've not been affording. Uh, to myself and that own study about the situation that, that could be again you know mines in South Africa kind of thing or in South America or pick a country or uh, a, a despot overseas that we may have to take on one day yeah I love that so as, as we've done you know especially our war gaming this year the students have in the war game role played various actors and they've gone from conflict zone to conflict zone and mm -hmm. really I think have come out with a, a much deeper understanding of the perspectives of various actors, mm -hmm. uh, good and bad, friendly and, and not friendly to the United States uh, through those through those war games. Yeah, what <clears throat> I get from all this conversation is that history is of utmost importance to all PME. Yes. That's what I get out of it. There you go. <laughs> so, General, <laughs> Bill, 
what advice would you give our JAWS students who you know we make listen to this podcast? Yeah, right. So they're <laughs> they're going to, in the days ahead, be yeah. listening to this. What would you tell them as they uh, prepare for um, this next phase of the course? Yeah, I, I would say continue to embrace what they're learning, right? There should be no resistance. It's always em- embracing the new material and really embracing this time to learn. If they're walking out of here at one level, exhausted, then they didn't learn enough, right? They should be at least... Man, I got a lot out of that. And so when they get to their next jobs, like, this is easy. I've done this. I think that's part of the the mental preparation and they're kind of finishing up the rest of the spring semester, if you will, leading up to graduation. That's, to me, that's what school does. That's what JAWS does. That's what the Joint Forces Staff College does. It really prepares these next generation of leaders these action officers at the JCWS level going out and hitting their respective joint staffs. Again, these strategic planners that are going to come out of JAWS, fantastic things, right? I mean, much is expected, right? And then much will be gained by those, those respective commands when they get those graduates. It's going to be fantastic. So again, they need to take this on, learn what they can, use every opportunity. And I think also a good part is, again, because of my kind of touch points with alumni uh, from JAWS, is they kind of fall back on it. And they're always falling back on, you know, when I was at Jaws, I, yeah, this was great. Or I remember this from Jaws. Or it wasn't just the, again, the Norfolk area. No, no, I get it. It was about what was happening in that classroom. That is the biggest takeaway I've always heard from all the alums that I've, I've spoken to. That's fantastic. Yeah. John, I know you have advice for students. Not quite yet. Before we get there, we have a tradition. Tradition unlike any other. We've asked every guest speaker, particularly GOs, and this will be a question all students will receive here shortly in the next six months. What is your definition of war? Oh, my God. That's, I'm not prepared for that. Um, you can also I, say I, what Claus would say. Yeah, I admit it. I've used that about a million times, right? And I, I do think that it is merely an extension, but it's it, it's extension of that political process between adversaries or opposing wills as one tries to oppose their will or their their thought, their influence, their control upon another, right? And it just happens to take a physical form. However, but I think the spinoff of that is like, okay, then how do we define war? Is it in the World War II Victory at Sea documentary that still floats around in my head as a little kid? Is it that? Or is it what we're seeing today, okay, with I'm taking over a TV station, right? Or I'm dropping bombs with drones, is it this kind of what we're seeing in the Ukraine? Or is it, you know, when we say information warfare, like, okay, again, it's these opposing wills, right? These opposing personalities, these imposing cultures that are clashing in these different domains. So, again, string of thought over some, you know, pick your drink of choice, <laughs> you know, kind of thing of that uh, it's ongoing. Like, we're always in a perpetual state of war, right? So it's, it's kind of like this, you know, the, the planet that's always got these friction points going on maybe it's like chaos theory it's always moving there's always something in a state of chaos wars happening at various levels and that whether it be from a there's the tactical part i get it all the way through strategic all the way through i don't know it's, it's my it's my geo kind of no that was you good know, and you you, know? you use closet so in the the uh, professor over here gave you a solid b plus yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> you still get the walk so yeah i uh, get it <laughs> you know, on that on that note i had a, i did have a discussion about foundations right with with some other not here at other institutions about you know why is it important and the most dog-eared most marked up tagged books it's Thucydides it is Clausewitz 
and it's Sun Tzu. Those three things, right, all the way through. It's time, space, and force, fear, yeah. honor, interest. Those things yeah, packaged yeah. together, that's it. And weather, enemy, terrain, too. I never forget those as a career intel person, right? So that's it. Those things all come from, in my opinion, those three seminal okay. documents. We, we read them all for TH. We probably put a lot on Mao as well because mm-hmm. we still keep the uh, guerrilla counterinsurgency insurgency sure. piece. Yep. Because we, we have a tendency to forget about that, and then every 25 years or so we repeat. The one I see John always carrying around in his back pocket is Curious George. <laughs> <laughs> Curious George goes to war. I like hey, it. It's simple. Simple. Well, Bill, thanks, thanks a lot sure, for thanks joining us Sure, thanks for the opportunity. Today. Really, really great having you. And then on that note, we, we always end with the usual. So you heard what the general said. Read your closets. <laughs>